Welcome to the Live 1002 podcast, where simple actions are multiplying into extraordinary impact around the world when we live Luke 10, verse 2. Join us today, our Will and Carol, from their time in the U.S. to their stories in Nepal of seeing no place left with multiplying disciples and churches to the fourth generation of multiple streams and to see local ownership of the Great Commission. Join us in our conversation about forming teams, about engaging a diaspora in the U.S., and about journeying to see no place left. Well, I think when I think of my most favorite stories, um, a lot of them come from a long time ago, but um, I guess where I would start would be with what we just heard from one of our brothers, who's a pastor in Kathmandu, who in the midst of COVID, you know, had to stop meeting together as a church and his people, you know, were struggling. They, they didn't have um, the, the opportunity to meet on Zoom and have all this, you know, the technology. So he just, and he just went to his people and said, you know, you've all been trained to do this. You know how to start a church. Each of you is now <laughs> a pastor. You know, all the leaders of the families, you are a pastor. You need to start a church in your own home. So, Will, maybe, you know, you know a little more about how he said that, but that's just my favorite thing. It's just like, that's exactly what we want to see. We want to see churches multiplying. Yeah, that's right. And we trained him um, on how to uh, multiply disciples in churches. And among the church that he personally pastored, there weren't a lot of early adopters or adopters at all. They just, they chose to continue meeting as a large group. But because he because he had trained them to do that, uh, when the time came, they really knew what they needed to do. And so they knew how to not only self-feed on the Word of God, but they knew how to to uh, lead others in, in being church and doing church. So it was a neat a situation where a church of, you know, 59 families became 59 churches and households. So that was a neat story coming out of COVID. Praise the Lord. Will and Carol, would you share just a little bit of your story? Yeah, well, um, we've spent nearly 15 years in in South Asia. Um, we went over with little kids and raised them in, you know, first uh, a very Muslim context. And then the Lord moved us to another country with, you know, just a a lot of Hindus and Buddhists and it just, it was a pretty interesting um, opportunity to be able to make disciples and see churches planted. Um, I think the most exciting part was, you know, almost 14 years in when the Lord told us we were done, it was time to move on. And it wasn't because Everybody heard the gospel. It wasn't because it was all done, but we had been able to lay a foundation of of multiplying disciples. So um, we'd built our organizational team, and they had they had kind of multiplied. You know, the the stewardship that we had, the people groups we had, had been divided among three other teams. There were new team leaders that we'd been able to um, to coach and to partner with, and and empower to take that take that to another level and do it independently of us. We had national partners who were seeing multiplying churches 
multiplying disciples. And we were able to just say, maybe it's time for us to step away and let you just grow as a leader. And God released us from our role kind of to get out of the way so that the leaders that we'd been training and discipling were able to um, to just take over the work that the foundation that we had laid. Yeah, and I'll just add to that, you know, you know, when it came to the point where uh, we were feeling a restlessness uh, and not knowing what to do next exactly, um, you know, we didn't want to leave at all. You know, the, the, the journey to Nepal was a 20-year a process that began in 99 when we first visited there for the first time, and we returned and, and quit our jobs and began to prepare ourselves for the mission field and finally landed there in 2005. And, and fast forward to 2019, uh, the idea of exit was, a, was not a happy thought. You know, it had almost become our home. And uh, we always knew that we would leave at some point, but um, we didn't actually want to leave. And so what was interesting about that, it was really a, it felt like a dying to self. It really did. And we had some of the closest relationships in, in Kathmandu that we'd ever had in our entire life. And uh, it was a really sweet time when our, uh, when, our, when our family, our spiritual family could surround us and pray with us and help us process what God was doing and basically send us out from, from Kathmandu. And I, you know, I, I actually feel more sent back here in the U S than I did when I originally went to Nepal. And, uh, that kind of leads into what we're seeing happening in America right now through the diaspora. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Just in what, what he used you all in and, and what you got to see him do there overseas and, and bringing that back here in the States, what is your vision now? And, and what are you seeing as the potential for the diaspora or the nations among us? Well, you know, it's funny. When we first came back, uh, the diaspora as a target wasn't really on our radar. It was, uh, we, we left Nepal without any idea of what would be next. Uh, in the beginning, we considered taking another overseas assignment um, uh, very seriously, uh, but we never had peace about that. And uh, in God's timing, after months and months of waiting, uh, someone, a good friend, came to me and really opened my eyes. Uh, used the Lord used to open my eyes to the nations all around us, and I started looking at the numbers and uh, the number of people groups that are here and the massive populations in the United States of of the nations that are just not being effectively reached with the gospel, at least in an intentional way. Um, I I do think that this is something that God's doing uh, because as I talk to um, as I talk to different teams in various ways, you know, uh, they're bumping into uh, these, these people groups from all around the world and, and finding that, that in many cases, they're hungry to hear the gospel. They, they want to know more. Um, but right now, as far as an intentional target, um, you know, I, we were offered an opportunity to uh, lead in the strategic development of teams to more intentionally target these people. And uh, so, so that's, that was pretty mind-blowing. And um, what's amazing is I never thought my heart would be as um, on fire for anything, anywhere near as much as Nepal. But as the months and weeks go by and we continue to pray, pray we went through a, a, an extensive time of prayer and fasting as well. And uh, God is doing that. And he's showing us that although we thought Nepal was the end game for us, that it is actually a season preparing us for a whole new a whole new area of, of ministry and leadership and missions. And, and so we're just, we're just so happy to be a part of this. And um, 
and 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 it's a big task and we're just trying to get our heads around it and we're we're so grateful for those of us who have really um blazed the trail other organizations are doing this uh very well other teams and so we're really we're in a learning posture uh we want we want to definitely bring all the experiences that came to bear to see multiplication in south asia we want to bring that here to us based teams and and hopefully help them experience some of the some of the breakthroughs and some of the fruit that we were able to experience in Nepal. So good. So what did it mean to see No Place Left in the district area of Nepal? And what does that mean for, for those of us pursuing to see No Place Left in our neighborhoods, or our cities? Yeah, that's a great question. In, 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 in that situation, I was a good friend with a pastor who had basically had a circuit of churches that he would go visit in a particular district. He was a very faithful pastor, um, very even uh, very evangelistic, and did lots of massive seed sowing. And he'd never really considered what it meant to be apostolic in the sense of laying a foundation in areas where people were not yet hearing the gospel. And so although there were several churches in that area that he would go visit, uh, it was largely unreached. And one day I asked him a question. I said, what, what would it take, brother, for you to be finished in that district? And it was funny because he was instantly offended because he felt like, I mean, not seriously offended, but, you know, puzzled because he thought, I, these people will always be my friends. I'm never going to be finished as if I walk away. And I said, well, I, I understand what you mean, but what does it mean to be finished in terms of laying a foundation? And we began to talk about that and talk about, you know, Paul and his example of where he said there was no longer any place for him in a certain region. Uh, he, he'd fully proclaimed the gospel from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. And, and he basically made a declaration statement. There was no longer any place for him in that area. And, uh, and so we began to think about that. And he began to warm to that idea. And, uh, and he said, you know, if I just went to all those churches and trained them, how to make disciples and plant new churches, um, they really could reach the rest of this district. I, I don't have to do it on my own. They could do it. And, and he began to make a transformation just in, in what success was. And uh, so he would do that. He, he trained all of those churches. And after about three years, he came back to me and, uh, and he said, Will, um, I, I think we're at no place left in this district. And so it was really a wonderful thing as we mapped out his work and began to do spot checking of those churches just to, you know, serve them and monitor for their health and what other things we could do to serve them. And uh, sure enough, there were, there were uh, three streams of churches to the fourth and fifth generation. And, uh, and not only that, he, he decided to uh, take his focus off that district and go to a neighboring district who uh, needed the same kind of attention, that needed the same kind of attention. And, uh, and beyond that, what was interesting was um, in that process, he was able to train up numerous other leaders from that district that went and took other district adoptions. So we saw a multiplication not only of disciples and churches, but also apostolic leaders who, who, who went into whole new districts with a no place left vision. So that was super exciting. Praise the Lord. Uh, that is incredible seeing you know what God is doing, like God is doing the same thing today that he has been doing all through scripture. And it's such a blessing and encouragement to hear those stories in different parts around the world as we seek to pursue that vision right where we live, no matter where God has us. 
So knowing a little bit of your all story, that didn't happen overnight, even though we wish we could see that again right away quickly. <laughs> um, what would you give in just encouragement and challenge to, to leaders, to families as they pursue that vision? But looking at the work that he did as a pastor, and he loved his people, and he was so concerned about their, you know, their discipleship, their growth. I mean, he wanted to see um, healthy churches, and he was acting as the pastor, and he was the one going out there trying to pour into people's lives. But the transition that he saw, you know, that if he could train others to do that, to be that that pastoral voice with the heart for multiplication, um, then it was just going to, well, it was going to multiply. He was going to be able to move on to another district, raise up more leaders and see more churches planted and see more people reach with the gospel. But he, he did have to transition and be willing to, you know, to let others be that pastor, to let others carry that, um, that role as he moved on. And Will, what would you say? How would you address that? Yeah, I'm glad you made the point that that doesn't happen overnight. Um, it definitely, there were, there were years, months and years in, in periods of time when, um, you know, nothing, nothing was apparently happening. I mean, we were working, we were in community, um, we were sharing, certainly we're training anyone we could, um, but we just didn't see a lot of movement. And uh, I think a lot of it came, you know, you learn by doing. I think you learn through making mistakes, but failing forward, um, you know, and, and definitely uh, God did a lot in us, not just through us, but in us, probably more in us than through us, in fact. And, uh, and definitely we're different people after that experience. I mean, we've learned so much and uh, really it's developed a heart of um, hopefully empathy, you know, for, for people wherever they are. Um, it's, it's given us a greater appreciation for our own salvation as we go into areas where people do not even have an opportunity to hear one time. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm continually amazed uh, by the fact that God has saved us. Um, and it creates this just desi- desire and even resolve to say, man, it's just not right uh, that there's so many people have not heard the gospel even a single time. But uh, that, and, and that's what's led us to do what we do. And it doesn't happen overnight. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, an, a characteristic uh, of, of someone who can kind of go for, for an extended period of time, the amount of time it takes to see fruit, is that they're able to experience hardship and actually grow stronger through it. Um, you know, it's not just a matter of being resilient. When you're resilient, when you take hardship, you just kind of reshape into what you originally were. were. You don't necessarily learn from it. But, uh, but the opposite of being fragile, uh, there's, a, there's actually a book written on it that a friend of mine directed me to. Uh, it's the idea of being anti, anti-fragile. The idea that when you face hardship, uh, you may grieve and, 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 and need a time of healing, but, but in the end, you come back stronger. And uh, really, I think Christ is the ultimate example of being anti-fragile. You know, Jesus was uh, persecuted. Uh, beaten, abused, nailed to a cross, uh, and died, and then rose from the grave and conquered uh, sin and death. 
and I think in a lot of ways, as we as we uh, face the hardships of life, uh, we can we can share in some of those attributes as we uh, just lean on the Father for our strength. Amen. So in this season of quarantine and the pandemic, when countries often are, are closed at the moment and flights are not soaring as they used to. What do you see as the opportunity, and is there one, for us to still engage the nations and to reach them when we're, you know, stuck at home? Yeah, well, it's definitely complex and difficult, and I think it's the kind of thing we have to to, to find our own comfort level. A lot of us are living with with uh, with an extended family. Uh, some some families, there's multiple families. That's our situation right now. We're living with another family. So there's a little bit of negotiation that goes on there. You know, what's our comfort level as a family? Because what you do affect might affect the other people. So that's one phase of it. But then there's also a bit of a negotiation that needs to happen face to face when you're in community. Uh, It's funny, I've seen people interact and you know, people don't know quite what to do. Do I extend my hand? Do I give them a hug? You know, and I met somebody the other day and I said, Hey, are, are you COVID comfortable? I kind of made a, made up a term right on the spot and she just kind of laughed and, and I gave the sister a hug. So, um, it was, it was really, uh, but, but it's kind of like a quick negotiation. I think that happens in community too. I mean, some people are just really, really frightened. Um, and, and, you know, they don't want to make their family sick and that's understandable. You know, um, on the other hand, I, I don't think that it's it's so across the board that we just simply can't talk to people anymore. Um, in fact, I was in Raleigh uh, recently. I've been doing some traveling with some people who were COVID comfortable, and uh, and met with them, and uh, and and we went out sharing in community, and uh, and and this was after a period of time when I really was struggling to know what to do. To be honest with you, so I really needed this for my soul. Like I needed to go out and share. You know, these people need to hear the gospel, but but I needed to go share. It's just a personal discipline. And we went out, and uh, there was this man in the park with his two kids. And uh, as God often does, you know, we prayed ahead of time for God to give us wisdom and the words to say. And I just began to compliment him on being a good dad, taking his kids out in the park, and you know, and and, and just ask him what life has been like for him through COVID. And we struck up a conversation. And uh, turned out he was from Pasadena, California. And I said, I've got friends in Pasadena, California. But um, anyhow, uh, I asked him if there was anything I could pray for him about. And his eyes instantly welled up with tears. And he said, you know, my family is so broken right now. And he couldn't even talk after that. And I said, you know what? You don't have to tell me anymore. Let's just pray together. And so we prayed. And he just kept thanking me over and over again after we prayed for him. And we were able to go on to share our story about how we'd come to Christ. And we shared a little illustration that we learned called the three circles and uh, gave him a copy of that. And then, um, and then my friend who lives there is following up with him right now. So, you know, there, there are people out there uh, that, are, that are searching for hope. And, and I looked at my friend and I said, you know what, after we talked to this guy, I said, you know what, this is a guy who, who's been, who's been, uh, been crying out to God, help me. And I think when he saw us come, we were his answer to prayer. And uh, I think there's just a lot of people out there that are, that are lonely, that need a friend, um, and, 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 they, and they need help, but they just don't know where that help's going to come from. Yeah, and I think oftentimes um, when, when we are afraid and in our culture, we're just kind of taught, you know, 
keep to yourself, stay away, don't bother people. You know, I think a lot of people are getting lost in, in that, you know, it's like people are just desperate for a little bit of hope and a little bit of encouragement. And so the thing I have to challenge myself with is, you know, I just got to be willing to reach out to someone, even though they may not be COVID comfortable and (laughs) figure out just how we can do it and how we can keep that social distance without averting our eyes. You know, I'm, I'm, it, it just surprises me when people won't even look you in the eye because I think they're afraid. They're afraid of the, the virus. They're afraid of, I don't know. I don't know what they're afraid of, but we as believers need to kind of fight against that and say, we're not going to be afraid to look someone in the eye. We'll stay six feet apart, but we still need to try to engage and try to share that hope that is in us because the world is just desperate for it. Amen. So as we wrap up, Will and Carol, is there anything else you all would like to share? Yeah, I'll add something. I was just, as a word of encouragement, um, I, I just, I just, I need to remind myself of this. And I just, I hope that we can all remain encouraged as followers of Christ. And, and I think um, even though uh, you may get some people who do not want to talk and they, and they relate it to COVID, um, it's always been a reality that there, there are certain people that just aren't going to respond to an outstretched hand of friendship, much less the gospel. And, you know, we often call that a red light, you know, someone who's just not going to hear. And, and I really and I, and I really feel like the, the COVID situation, maybe, maybe is it so much the reason for that, or is it may be more just the new excuse for that. I think that people who want to hear the gospel still want to hear the gospel. They still want to make friends. Um, they still want to connect with people. And, uh, and, and even if they don't come to receive the gospel in that, that, at that moment, that's okay. I mean, it's about connecting with people and, uh, and, and, and staying in contact so that we can uh, hopefully lead them to Christ. But, but yeah, I, I wouldn't say that, that um, we're out of business here. Like there's no, there's no connecting with people because of COVID. I think that people are going to use it as an excuse to, uh, to isolate themselves just like they did before COVID. And, uh, and those who still want to hear are, are, are searching, they haven't quit searching just because COVID's happening. So the responsibility remains the same. We have to, we have to step out. We have to get in people's space, uh, not too close, maybe at six feet apart, but uh, get, get at least within earshot of people and, uh, and strike up a conversation. And, uh, you know, this is something we have to be practiced at. We need to learn. We need to get around people who are good at it. You know, how do you connect with people in the first, you know, five to 10 seconds? You know, how do you strike up a conversation and how do you turn that to something spiritual? So, um, you know, this is needed by all people, diaspora, majority people, everybody. So, um, so we just need to persevere through this and, and, and keep trying. Something that I learned from you all in, in crossing paths uh, this past year since you've been back in the States is the things that you've learned in your experience of teaming. And in this time, there's definitely a lot uh, that we need to draw in together in the teams that we were on and also create and multiply more teams to be able to reach more areas. Uh, but if you have a chance, like, would you just share a little bit of that wisdom in what does it look like to, to team well and just aspects of a good team. 
Yeah, I'd be happy to answer that. Um, yeah, I think teaming is essential. And we saw Jesus do that very early on by choosing his disciples. We saw Paul do that by um, bringing people with him on his journeys. Uh, this is not something to be done alone and in, in isolation. We need one another. We really do. And, uh, but some people rightly point out that teaming is not an end in and of itself. And I think that's fair. I think our relationships are, are, uh, are temporary in the teaming aspect, but it doesn't make them any less essential and any less uh, helpful and powerful for the spread of the gospel. We need encouragement. Just like Jesus sent uh, people out two by two, he was encouraging teaming. So I think it's the kind of thing that we can't neglect. We have to pay attention to. We just can't look at a map with a lot of uh, gaps and dark, dark spots of lostness and just spread a bunch of individuals out among that, on that map and leave them out there in complete isolation. I think that there's a real need uh, for people to come together uh, and, and find unity uh, in, in the vision, and, uh, but not necessarily uniform, uniformity under methodology. I think there can be some, some uh, latitude there. Uh, when it comes to that, um, as we all pursue uh, doing God's mission in God's way. But yeah, I, in our experience, we just feel like teaming is essential. Um, it's, it's, it's very much needed. And I'll tell you, during that transition, um, when we came back to America, you know, we were trying to find our tribe. You know, we, we got in the car and Mary, we met during that time. And we drove out to California because we kept our ear to the ground and we heard there's some really good teaming. Um, a group of people that truly loved each other, that were all focused on the task and uh, were highly effective in mission and highly effective in living a Christian life. And so we came all the way out there to let some of that rub off on us. And so uh, I'm glad to hear that, that what we said was uh, encouraging to you, but you all were incredibly encouraging to us as we we're thinking about, you know, who do we want to work with? When we come back to the U.S., um, in order to, uh, you know, go after no place left. So yeah, teaming is essential and, uh, and it's biblical and we should enjoy it. And, uh, as we co-labor together. The other part of it, and well, you kind of alluded to this, but a team is where all the different gifts of the body can be manifest, you know, cause we're, we're all so different. And, you know, by putting together a team with a common vision, a common focus, common goals, um, it it just allows us to use the different gifts that we have to our fullest, you know, because I don't have to worry about, you know, all the administrative work because we have someone on our team that helps with that, you know, and I can focus on some of the things that, you know, I might be better at, you know, in doing the the teaching and discipleship and long, you know, more anyway, it, it doesn't matter specifically what I do, but when I'm part of a team, more can get done when everybody's working fully in their giftings. So as we close, what would you share just in encouragement and challenge to those who are longing and looking for a team like that, that you describe? Yeah. So I feel like if you have the desire to, um, pursue God and his mission, uh, you need to be observant and you need to look around and ask questions and go get what you need. Uh, if you're in an environment where you cannot find fellowship, you cannot find your tribe, so to speak, uh, of people who are doing the same thing, uh, you have to go get it. You have to be assertive and you have to be determined 
for us, that looked like getting in the car and going to California. Um, for others, it may just be uh, going onto a website, like a No Place Love website, and saying, hey, how do I connect with people in my city? And on the other side of that, I feel like those of us who have found that need to be findable. And I think we need to uh, wear our vision on our sleeve. It needs to be the kind of thing that we talk about, that we weave into conversation, that we that we um, that we're known for a a just a passion uh, for seeing uh, God's mission accomplished through multiplying disciples in churches until there's no place left, and uh, and I think we have to be findable as well. So, yeah, I think uh, you know if someone's in a situation where they desire this, but they they feel like, well, I don't have anybody to connect with. You know, first go to the Lord in prayer, ask for wisdom, and then you need to start searching because the search never ends. Once you find, once you find that tribe, uh, the truth of the matter is uh, everything we do is, is essentially a manhunt. We're, we're, we're looking for that man or woman of God who is, is that one person away from a movement. And uh, when you think about uh, outsider to insider, so a lot of what we do is just that, looking for people to connect with that are going to help us uh, and, and we can help them to succeed as uh, disciple makers and church planners. Well, and Mary, I think, you know, just the name of your podcast, um, 1002, you know, every day we, we need to be praying that, praying for workers to go into the harvest. Pray for that team, you know, pray for, you know, it's not just individual workers we want to send out or that God's sending out. He's, he's got a vision for teams. So that's just, foundational in that that prayer for the harvest is praying for teams of people that can work together use their gifts together and see the vision accomplished thank you for listening resources can be found at www.live1002.com join us as we live luke 10 verse 2 until there is no place left if you've enjoyed this podcast feel free to rate it Leave a comment, subscribe, and share with a friend. This week, can you imagine what if your neighborhood or your city saw no place left where there wasn't local ownership of the Great Commission? What would it take?